Good morning. I'm glad to be here. My name is Tom. I'm normally on the, oh, that's not necessary. That's my great uncle is here today. <laughs> uh, I'm normally on the Boulder campus, and I hold a position of pastor at Calvary. But you have a great pastor here, Zach Thompson, and I, I give him thanks. <clears throat> and I, I want to say thank you to all the staff on this campus who have helped make in a year and a half a really exciting uh, experience to be here in Thornton. Um, Zach and Justin and Brody, Dakota, Whitney, Angie, um, they're an awesome staff. And I, I appreciate that they lead here for what's happening. And I hope you'll, um, you'll encourage them this Christmas. I want to tell you two things um, from my chair as the senior pastor. Two things are coming in our, the life of our church across three campuses. One is at the end of the year, uh, for uh, probably 15 years, Calvary Bible Church has tried to build into our congregation the DNA that we give more than we take. And one of the ways that we've done that is through the Heart of Advent offering at the end of the year. And what we just simply try to say to our congregations in Boulder and Erie and Thornton is this. We want to bless the world because God has blessed us in the coming of Jesus. And so rather than buy one more sweater at Christmas, what if we all took a little bit, set it aside for the Heart of Advent offering, which goes out into the world. And the mission of this year's Heart of Advent giving is to plant churches across the Front Range and in Ukraine and in every place that God will lead us with the resources that we're, are going to come in at the end of the year. Over the year, uh, years, we have given $2.4 million in the Heart of Advent um, offerings that have come in. So it's been significant. And I hope it, that you'll just say, Lord, as you've blessed me, I want to be a part of the Heart of Advent so that your word can go out. That's the mission of that. Um, you heard last week, and I'm going to do it here because I love your staff, um, that we also have an end-of-the-year love gift for the staff. And it's just a way for you as a congregation to say, we want to bless our, our staff, and you can do that through a special offering if you want to do that and, and write a gift to Calvary, put love gift in the memo line, and it'll be a way to bless our staff at Christmas. I don't want to make too much of that, but your, your staff is worthy, and I hope you'll think about that. All right? Any questions? All right. I met somebody before church says, well, how do you guys preach? You know, what's your preaching style? And we, we, we open the Bible. How many of you have a Bible with you? Excellent. Excellent. So we're taking a five-week study in uh, the Old Testament prophetic words that come true in the New Testament with the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason that we're doing that, among other reasons, before we go back to our study through the book of Luke, is that we want you to have confidence that the Bible is a real story, and it's an integrated story from start to finish. And it has some complexity to it that requires that we be students of the Word of God and that we study it carefully. But the Bible is a story that unfolds, and it's woven together. And things in the Old Testament are written and then show up in the New Testament 
And we say, well, what does that have to do with the New Testament? But it turns out that the New Testament writers who were also inspired by the Holy Spirit when they wrote the New Testament were capturing some of the Old Testament prophetic words and saying, the words that Isaiah spoke are actually fulfilled in the New Testament. And so we've been adventuring through the study of Isaiah to see where does an Old Testament prophetic word 700 years before the birth of Jesus bear on the birth of Jesus and his work and his mission. And it turns out that the Old Testament actually is like shouting forward, Jesus Christ, the Messiah is coming, and then it, it comes to bear. Now, it's not obvious without really looking at it carefully, which we've tried to do over the last couple weeks. What we've already seen is that there are these motifs of prophecy in the Old Testament that shout forward. And so we saw in Isaiah 9, the people in darkness have seen a what? A great light. And then Jesus came and said, I'm the light of the world. And it was tied together that a contextual historical problem for Israel and pending captivity to the nation Assyria that you're going to go into darkness is brought forward and fulfilled in Jesus that he actually is the light who delivers people not from political captivity but from spiritual captivity out of darkness into light. Everybody said, I mean, he really does that. And then last week, there is a stump, and out of a stump, there's this little shoot that has life, and it looks like it was totally hewn down and worthless. The stump is gone. It's dead. It's good for nothing, and then this little life comes out of it, and that life is a, a living branch out of a line of kings, and that branch is the branch of righteousness, and it's a motif, it's an illustration, it's, it's a picture that out of what seemed the hopeless failure of Israel in the line of David, son of Jesse, there comes a branch who is the righteous king of kings, lord of lords, and it's Jesus. Okay, you can get excited, that'd be all right. It, like, this is good, like, you, you know, if you just read the Bible, you can miss this, but there's like rich treasure. And today we have the third one. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture and it comes in Isaiah 40. So if you have your Bible, let's open together to Isaiah 40. I simply want you to see that the Bible is a story that unfolds. And the Old Testament stories and contexts and illustrations and prophetic words really are drawn forward into the New Testament and applied and seen to be fulfilled in the glory of Jesus. Now, if you look at chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort my people, and two, one and two. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended and that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Well, this sounds... Christmassy. Okay. Again, where are we going to find this fulfilled in the New Testament? Comfort my people. We won't take time to read chapter 39, which comes just before chapter 40, but in chapter 39, 
just as in the other two illustrations, there is in relief of the words comfort a very dark, despairing um, suffering of judgment. And it's out of the judgment of chapter 39 when now not Assyria, but Babylon is going to come and Babylon is going to be raised up to be used by God to bring judgment upon a faithless people, Israel, and it's going to be awful. And it's as if Isaiah is just simply saying judgment is 39 and chapter 40 is comfort. And it is the sweep of these two themes in the book of Isaiah. There's judgment for sin. There's the hope of salvation in God. And they go together. And it's exactly what we need. And so he begins by comfort. What do you think that is? What's a comfort? You know, I, I read an article this week that someone passed on to me that the United States is perhaps one of the most comfortable places in the world to live. And we are acquainted with so many comforts. What's one of your favorite comforts of life? Football. It's comforting. Okay, well, there you go. Um, what is it? Hugs, blankets, Christmas cookies. You know, what, what comforts you? Some people use southern comfort. And what the article actually said is this. We have the most avenues for comfort. And we've never been more unhappy as a culture. It's a problem. Our world is, is craving comfort in all the wrong places, and it's the least happy society. What is the comfort here? I, I would love for us to examine where does comfort come from when God says, I want you to comfort my people. This is what I want you to tell them. Verse 1, uh, verse 2, speak tenderly and tell her her warfare has ended. So this is Isaiah looking out. This, is good. this judgment is coming, chapter 39, but it's going to come to an end. And the warfare will end, and your iniquity will be pardoned. You'll receive from the Lord's hand double for all your sins. There are two things that really give comfort. One is when bondage ends and sins are paid for. The true comfort that people need today is to know that they can be removed from spiritual bondage. Th this is the context of a political bondage that Israel's going to go to Babylon. But Isaiah is saying you're, you're, that's going to end and what sent you to captivity is going to be atoned. But the comfort in reality, if, if you say for all time, is that God is able to do two things. He is able to release people from bondage and forgive their sins. And that's the best comfort. Would you agree? I mean, there's nothing worse than a guilty conscience. There's nothing worse than the weight of sin in our life. And he's saying, comfort my people that their, their captivity has ended and their sins have been atoned for. Their, their sins are forgiven. And that is a beautiful word. Now, if you are a musician and you know Handel's Messiah, do any of you know that? I, I thought about playing uh, just one or two songs from Handel's Messiah because it comes right out of this text. And the next verse, verse 3, says, a voice cries 
In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. Isaiah is prophesying that comfort is going to come to God's people when they understand the captivity has ended and their sins have been atoned, but he calls them to respond in order to receive this comfort that God wants to, to bring. And the way he describes it is that in the wilderness or in the captivity or in the dark place, in the desert, in the worst of places, prepare your heart, prepare yourself, for the Lord's coming to you. And he uses these beautiful pictures of making a highway. And the high places go down, the low places go up, the rough places are smooth, the crooked places are straightened out. It's really, how do you make a highway? We were talking this week about how Eisenhower Tunnel was created and how much dirt was removed in order to make a straight way to go skiing. Talk about comfort, you know. We make a straight way. That's the idea that he's saying. How do you make it easy for God to come to you? What must you do in order to prepare the way of the Lord for you? When you think about entering into Christmas, are you ready to worship Christ the Messiah? What must change in us to worship? These obstacles that are in the way, I think of it as spiritual obstacles. What spiritual obstacle is in the way of you having a devoted, Christ-centered Christmas? It actually could be consumerism. It could be overeating. What, what are the obstacles? It could just be, I, I don't want to become a generous person. I, I, it could be anything in my heart that keeps me from saying, Lord, I want you to rule in my life. I want your way to come to me. I want to make every rough place smooth so the Lord can come to me. The next verse uh, is sort of the culmination of that, is that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, verse 5, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Every valley shall be lifted up. The, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This is Isaiah speaking in prophetic words. But who in the New Testament does this remind you of? Anybody? John the Baptist. Okay, so you have your Bible. I want you to keep your finger here, and I want to show you two places. Again, this is the way the New Testament captures an Old Testament text and then brings it up and says, where is it fulfilled in the New Testament? So turn in, the, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, I want to show you two places. One, Matthew chapter 3. Isaiah is saying, prepare a way in the wilderness. And then you get to Matthew chapter 3. And it's coming to me. There it is. Verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does repentance mean? Let's remind ourselves. It means to turn around, but more than a physical shift, right? It's really a spiritual change of life. That's the message of John the Baptist. Repent. Verse 3. 
For this is he who is, was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In no more clear way could the New Testament interpret the Old Testament that the actual fulfillment in the vision of God for saying what he said in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 and 4 is actually fulfilled in John the Baptist when he comes to announce, prepare the way of the Lord. And I want you to just circle in your Bible, if you're free to underline, that the, the early command of John the Baptist is how you prepare for the Lord. So let's put our eyes on it again. John the Baptist came and he said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the one who says, prepare your way, prepare the way of the Lord. This is what Isaiah was saying. So when Isaiah says, prepare every high place down, every low place up, every crooked place straightened out, what's he saying? Repent. Is there anything crooked in my life? Is there anything haughty that's lifted up against God? Is there anything low? And how do I just make my life, Lord, I want you to come to me? This is the call of, of Isaiah, and we find out it's the call of John the Baptist. Turn to John chapter 1. We'll see one more place where it just helps us understand what Isaiah is saying. In John chapter 1, again, um, and verse 20. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? That's John 1, 19, excuse me. And then verse 20. He confessed, and he didn't deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And then they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, No. Are you a prophet? He said, No. And they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who send us. Who do you say? What do you say about yourself? And he said, John's own self-identity. John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. I love that the Bible makes it very clear to us that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of what Isaiah said. Think about it, left to right, 700 years before the birth of Christ, and then the life of John the Baptist, and he reaches back and says, I am the one who says, get ready to meet the Lord. Look, the greatest comfort we can have in our life is to be right with God. Would you agree? And when you make your life an open highway to the Lord by repenting of your sins, you really do find comfort. What makes it hard for us to pry our fingers off those things? We're deceived. It actually is the greatest comfort to say, Lord, here's my life. I turn away from every evil thing, and I surrender to you. Well, this is the message Isaiah is saying, but he goes on. He goes on in verse 6. A voice says, cry, and I said, well, what shall I cry? Well, you cry this, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field, and the grass withers and the flower fades and when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. Again, Merry Christmas. 
You know, this is like, what does that mean? That means that life is frail. And there is a brevity to life. You remember that Isaiah is saying these words to people who are going to go off to captivity, stay in captivity, be returned to captivity, but many would lose their lives. Many would lose everything, their whole prior identity. And so he says, life is brief. All flesh is like grass. And it just helps us to have perspective when you're searching for comfort. What are the most enduring things to give comfort? It's, it's the next verse. What does abide forever? Verse 8. Verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but everybody read the last phrase together. The word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah is saying what God said is going to come to pass. What God promises is true. The word of God will stand together. We're all grass. We will fail. I mean, this is not really encouraging it's not a triumphant word to realize we all have mortality and we're not going to be here forever, but would you agree that that's true? It helps to have perspective that we're here f- for a time, but how do you live forever? It's being right with God. And what God has said, the word of the Lord stands forever. It just helps to have this perspective on how are we actually comforted. Remember, we're comforted because... You can be removed from bondage. You can have your sins forgiven. And you know your reward is with Him. You, you, if, if you're with Him, you have eternal life. We're going to see. Okay, he goes on. I, I'm moving toward the final motif, but we have to talk about some of these things that help us get there. It's God's Word that lasts forever. Verse 9, again, not on the screen, but says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. I look at these verses and I say, these words are the Christmas carol. What what Christmas carol comes to your mind? Go tell it on the mountain. I think it comes right from here. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. And Isaiah is saying in his day, again, drawn forward, go tell it on the mountain, behold your God. He's coming. And I hear New Testament words of John the Baptist who says, oh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I see him seeing Jesus in his day. Behold your God. Go tell it. We're heralds. Let me just put a little parenthesis in here. I I said at the beginning that our culture, our world, our neighbors, our colleagues are searching for comfort. And you know what brings it. It's Jesus. It's not lost on me then that it actually is in the prophetic word about Jesus that there is this invitational command in the prophecy, go tell people, tell others, tell it on the mountain that he's here. Behold your God, he actually has come. Verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. 
And I hear that and I say, oh yeah, the Lord and the Messiah, as he comes, is going to be a ruler. He's going to have recompense. He's going to make all things right. It doesn't feel like he's actually done that yet, though, right? I mean, we saw this last week in the branch, is that he's here, but it's, he hasn't made all things right yet. Would you agree? All things are not right. Our world is very broken. But he's coming, verse 10 says, with recompense. He's going to do that. And this is where, as we read the Bible, we say, well, what in the Old Testament is fulfilled? What's not yet fulfilled? What has already come to pass? And what are we waiting on? What we're waiting on is verse 10, that, that at the right time, he's going to bring recompense and make all things new. But I look at verse 11, and I think <coughs> this, is, this is the message for this morning. So that was the introduction. <coughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but the motif of, of chapter 40 actually moves to verse 11. So let's read verse 11 out loud together. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah says, I want you to comfort my people because there is coming one who's going to be a shepherd to my people. Verse 10 of fully compensating all of the wrongs is sort of a already, but not yet. But I look at verse 10, and in Isaiah's mind, here is the third motif about the baby Messiah, is that when he comes, think about it, the announcement's going to come to shepherds. He's going to be born in a manger. He's going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But Isaiah calls him the shepherd who's going to lead his people, Israel. He's going to lead his people. And I want to suggest this morning that one of the ways in which you and I can experience comfort <coughs> at Christmas is if we think of ourselves as sheep. We don't like to. Why don't we like to think of ourselves as sheep? <laughs> you said it. They're dumb. Okay, I heard, I heard a couple say they're dumb. You know, that sheep need a shepherd, and they're prone to wander. And Jesus said, I'm going to come, and I'm going to shepherd my people. And I, I love to think about the way in the New Testament <clears throat> that um, Jesus looked over his people and they, they said, uh, um, the New Testament, I think it's Matthew 9, says Jesus had compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what people really need in their life is a shepherd who is beyond us, bigger than us, greater than us. And do you know at Christmas we can celebrate that a Messiah has come into the world who wants to be the shepherd of his people. He wants to lead us. And it's not constricting. It's flourishing. When we realize that Jesus came to be the shepherd, uh, it's a beautiful picture. So let's trace a couple things. Again, if you have your Bible, how does the motif of shepherd come to fulfillment in Jesus, the promised Messiah who was born in Bethlehem? If you have your Bible, let's open together to uh, Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, <clears throat> I will um, 
sort of begin reading in verse 6. Verse 5. Verse 3. I'm sorry. Here I am. When Herod the king heard about Jesus, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes together, Herod inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. Now verse 5. And they told him, because every good Jewish scribe knew the answer. Where's the Messiah going to be born? It's not a secret. They told him, he'll be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. It's Bethlehem. But it goes on. For from you shall come a ruler who will, everybody, he's going to shepherd my people. This is the prophetic word. This comes from Micah 5.2. And in the following verses in Micah 5, 2, where it says, out of you, Bethlehem will come a ruler, it's described that he's going to be a shepherd. He's going to shepherd my people. This is the promised word. And I can imagine that those who were listening to that said, well, we can have Herod or we can have a Messiah who's going to shepherd us. We, We want the shepherd, right? You can have a political leader or you can have Jesus. What do you want? Why do we hold Jesus at arm's length? Where's true comfort found? True comfort is found in this, in this Messiah. He's, he came to be a shepherd. That's the birth account. He's going to be a shepherd of his people. Then when Jesus comes on the scene, you, you turn to um, John chapter 10, right? Does that not come to your mind? Those of you who know your Bible, John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, if you want to turn there, That would be good. John 10. Jesus begins to give an entire teaching that he is the good shepherd. So verse 11 will be on the screen. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Because it turns out that in the self-sacrifice of the good shepherd, two things happen. Spiritual bondage comes to an end and sins are forgiven. In the death of the good shepherd, the comfort that Isaiah prophesied, your sins are paid for, your spiritual bondage is over, is fulfilled. What do you say to that? He lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this is in sharp relief for those of you who would like to study this week. Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 describes in great detail the failure of the leaders of Israel, which actually ended up sending them into captivity, that they were bad shepherds, bad shepherds. And it's described how terrible they were, that they were very self-serving. They did not serve God's people. And in that chapter, there is beautiful language where God says, I judge you, shepherds, for failing my sheep. I myself will come and shepherd my people. I will pursue my people. 
I will come down and be the shepherd to my people. And lo and behold, how does he do it? Jesus. He comes down. I am the good shepherd. Two more things that will help us be ready. Um, in chapter 10, again, verse 27, 28, here's what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You want to be comforted in knowing the good shepherd? Look at the promise here. I know my sheep. They know me. They hear my voice. They follow me. I have them in my hand. They will never perish. No one can take them from me. How good is that? Listen, in all of the uncertainty of this day and age, if you know the good shepherd, you're good. But do you hear his voice? Do you follow him? If we could slip into the same transgressions of ancient Israel of knowing these things but not following them, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Do you know the shepherd who is the Savior? Man, this is the best comfort I have. Comfort my people. It's in knowing Jesus, right? And then when you know him, what other verse comes to your mind when you think of shepherd? You got to have Psalm 23 in your frame, right? It has to be there. So let's think through it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You put it up there? There it is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I mean, that's a good treasure. You say, well, that's just an Old Testament psalm that's pretty poetic and nice. No, you need to see that that's David poetically talking about his life vocation as a shepherd, but seeing someone greater whom Isaiah prophesied about, he's going to come shepherd his people, and then lo and behold, you see the Christmas narrative, and someone's going to be born who's going to shepherd his people, and Jesus lives his life, and at age 32 or 3 says, I'm the good shepherd, I am the one. And I will lead my people, I will make them lie down, and I will restore their soul. And even if you walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you have no reason to fear evil. Why, why, do you, why if you are near death, need you not fear? Because bondage has ended, sins have been paid for, the shepherd died for you. The Lamb of God died for you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And, everybody, I think you said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have eternal life. No one will snatch them out of my hand. How good is our Messiah? How good is our Savior? I want you to be comforted that, that the Old Testament is telling a story that finds fulfillment in the new. And you can have confidence that when God says a word, 
the word of the Lord abides forever. We're not going to, but what God promised came true in Jesus. What he promises to do in Jesus, to be your shepherd, that you hear his voice and that you follow him, and he restores your soul and he forgives your sins and he gives you eternal life, is true. And so I think the best way that you could worship God this Christmas is to see him in this way. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen and ladies. Let nothing you dismay. Remember that Christ, your Savior, was born this Christmas day to save us all from Satan's power where we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus into the world to be a savior, a shepherd, and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I, I thank you that your word tells a story that can be trusted. It is never going to pass away. It is anchored in eternity. It is you who speak to us through the Old Testament prophets and the life of Jesus and the urging of John the Baptist to prepare our hearts for the Lord. I just ask that you will you will prompt us to be prepared people for Christmas. Our hearts will be yours. We'll be open to you. We will be sheep who hear and follow our good shepherd. I thank you that you are all of these things. It is a wonder that you have come to be a shepherd to people like us. But we worship you and we thank you together in Jesus' name. Amen.